Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the January 21, 2024 session, focusing on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Anxiety-free. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Crystal Shepard. It's good to see all of you again. And my, you all just look so refreshed after the holidays. <laughs> as nice. do you. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if we're anxiety-free. Mm-hmm. Almost. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> almost. It's almost like that. Yeah, yeah. Almost mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to someone earlier today and saying, wow, this year showed up in a hurry. <laughs> Did. At, at full steam. We have a a session, you heard the title, Anxiety Free, so I'm curious, what helps when you feel anxious? I don't mind telling y'all, I I live with some mild anxiety, and it runs in my family. I'm grateful that it doesn't rise to the level that I need medication, though I would certainly take that if I needed to. But one thing that I have found, and y'all are probably aware of this, being smart, astute folks that you are, but the 54321 method, when you're feeling that anxiety building, it's a concentration on your senses and the world around you. So five things you'll see, four things you feel, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. And so it works for me because it it takes my mind off of the imaginary thing often that's causing me the anxiety and the physical what is going on around me. And it I, I thought it was the dumbest thing when I first heard it, but it absolutely works for me. I was going to say that's one of the things I do yeah. too. Yes, yeah. it's so very useful. And I too, I, maybe all of us have anxiety, but I too live with some very real anxiety. And so medication is something that helps me. I also take deep breaths. If I'm starting to feel very anxious, my first thing is to just stop and breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. I tell it to my kids. If they're nervous or upset about something, I'm like, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, in through your nose, Mm -hmm. out through your mouth. And so I do that too. And just, it's amazing what a deep breath can do to help calm us down. Yeah. Since we're all sharing, I live with anxiety as well. (laughs) And it is in my family, actually pretty much, well, we don't know about the toddler yet, but pretty much everybody in my immediate family has anxiety. What I have found helpful for me, my anxiety manifests in anger. (laughs) So it's a real fun one. Mm. So if I get anxious, I get irritable. And so for me to not be a grumpy person, I do deep breathing. I also am a better person person and able to stay calmer if I do yoga and meditation. If I don't have that, then it's a pretty safe bet that my anxiety is going to creep out in some really not fun ways. And then I also, as I do with the podcast, I have my emotional support tea, which um, (laughs) helps me to green tea is my friend all the way around. And you will probably see me with a cup of green tea in my hand quite frequently. It's just like a little like way to just help me calm my body. I'm a human. I'm alive in 2024. So therefore, I also have anxiety. And yeah, I'm a ball of anxiety most days. I've learned to live with it. And some of the same things you you all have mentioned, including medication, is very helpful. But I also, just a mental technique that I picked up years ago was to have a calm place I could go in my head. And so for me, whenever I was a teenager growing up, we lived very near the woods in southern Arkansas, a beautiful forested area, little streams running through. And I 
We'd go back out in the woods with friends and we'd play in the woods. And there was a creek that ran through that was one of those mm-hmm. just gorgeous little creeks. The banks would slope down into it, big trees beside it. And and you could just go out there and hang out. And it was just so cool. Anyway, I remember it perfectly. And so that is my calm place <laughs> that oh. I can go to mentally and just be there and sit by that tree and watch the stream. And that helps me to to get control. The other thing that helps, as my wife would say, is she's a good listener. And so <laughs> when mm-hmm. I get wound up, she's like, all right, let it out. Tell me what's up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it does help. I hope we've all found coping mechanisms that help us mm-hmm. not be captive to or victim to our anxiety because we all have it. And to be honest, most of the people we run around with, work with, and see around town also have anxiety. So a bit of grace for one another is probably in order. But we have a text today that has some relevance for this discussion of anxiety. Crystal, would you help us get started with it? Sure. Imagine, if you will, 200 plus years from now, someone picks up a transcript of this podcast or even finds a way to listen to it. Our words that we share here with you, dear listeners, are specific to time and space. They are for a certain context, so to speak. Our thoughts and our reactions are formed from what is going on in our world and our own spiritual journeys. Yet if these future readers and listeners were to hear these words, do you think what we say would have no impact on them or have any meaning? I would hope that they might be able to glean some theme or help from what we have said. The same can be said for the Pauline letters. Written in the particular context of Paul's time into a particular community who had needs and issues they were facing. Paul's words are pointed for sure. However, they happened to be canonized when the scriptures were being collated. The early gathers of what we have today as the Bible had to think that Paul's words had some kind of importance and meaning for the early believers. For better or worse, Paul's words are immortalized. So it leaves us today to garner what was Paul's unique context and meaning for the believers of the time, and how can we faithfully interpret them to be meaningful and helpful to us today. It is important to understand that at the time of Paul, Corinth was a metropolis that ranked up there with Rome, Alexandria, and Ephesus as important cities. It was a melting pot of half a million people. It had many diverse religions represented as well. With the difference of religions came many differences in morals, and Corinth was known for its lax morality. Paul had come to Corinth teaching a gospel of freedom, and this letter that he writes is a response to some clarifying questions that the church had of him, as well as some direction he wanted to give in regards to what he saw as issues they faced. Though we often look at Paul as this great theologian and church planter, Adam Hurlson encourages us to look at him as a pastor. He says, as some of the best pastors I know, Paul can be tender and moody. He has both a bottomless well of compassion and a quick trigger. He gets overjoyed and righteously angry in equal measure. Paul is not an academic in the modern sense. He is not dispassionate and removed. Paul doesn't care to be unbiased or objective. Instead, he cares deeply and prays fervently for the communities he loves. And Paul loves the church in Corinth. It is out of this pastoral love 
for the church that Paul gives his stern admonishment around marriage. He had previously tackled sexual immorality for them, and now he turns to marriage. There were factions within the church that all viewed spirituality in the body differently. For example, the Gnostic fashion would have believed that the spirit was all that was important and that what one does with the body is of little consequence. Paul seems to balance the importance of both the body and the spirit. Seeing that for most people, marriage and sexual expression are important, he is addressing marriage in a specific context of an immoral society and how the Corinthian Christians are to live out their faith. In this regard, he places a high value on celibacy, especially in light of Christ's imminent return. Paul is giving his opinion here based on his understanding of the gospel. What Paul is not doing is giving an edict to be carried forward for all time. This scripture has been used by many um, churches, including more conservative circles, to reinforce purity culture. Purity culture involves saving yourself, i.e. keeping yourself a virgin until married. If you have lustful desires, so to speak, you are to suppress them. If they become too much for you, you are better off getting married than to give in to what we now know as natural physical urges. So if we think back to what I said about words being offered in a certain context and what can they mean for us today, I think a more generous interpretation would involve looking at Paul's context, a very immoral society that also believed that Christ would return soon. If we were to glean any meaning from how it may be applicable to us today, I believe to reduce it to sexual issues is both narrow and misguided. What it seems Paul is saying is for the Corinthians to lessen their anxiety and worry by living as simply as possible with a divine focus. With the potential of the end of time, it would be most expedient to remain unmarried and have a singular focus. It's not that marriage or desire are wrong, but that in particular time that they would be distractions. What distracts us today from focusing on God? Maybe for some, it is their desires, but for others, it could be attainment of wealth, social status, or political clout. It could be the lure of doom scrolling on social media, the consumption of food or alcohol to excess, or being so busy you have little time to rest. For Paul, it seems that human relationships were not to take priority over a relationship with God, that we as humans should not let the cares of this life be our only care. I think if we are to glean something from today's passage, perhaps it is to question, where is our focus? Does this thing we devote our time and attention to prevent us from our connection with God? Does that focus produce anxiety and or fear? Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. And then he goes on to say, I say this for your own benefit, not to put any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. What Paul was doing was asking the Christians at Corinth to take a long, hard look at their focus and their priorities. Perhaps he is asking us to do the same. How might we live, maybe not anxiety-free, but perhaps anxiety-less, if we shift our attention in an age that seems to pull us in multiple directions? Can our perceptions move ever so slightly to focus on the divine?
Crystal, I must commend you. That was no easy passage to give us background <laughs> on. <laughs> no. You did a beautiful job with it. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that Paul is was trying to help the Corinthians figure out how to live more focused on God because he knew and had lived experience that it was going to help those anxious thoughts and feelings and experiences. That is just simply part of being human 2024 not. Mm-hmm. And I, I commend you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. I, I bow to your biblical prowess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I, I love how you ended with trying to shift focus away from the craziness, which is the world around us, to things that are holy and, and the divine. And I, I want to say two things about that I don't think are contradictory. One is, it, like many other things— It's not enough to just say, just pray the anxiety away or focus on God and then all your anxiety will will disappear. I don't think that's fair at all. At the same time, however, I have found, and let me be just clear about myself, that prayer and meditation and asking for God's help does help me because God does want to help. Mm -hmm. God does not want me to live a life of fear and anxiousness. And so... I think both of those things can be true, that God's desire for us is to, is to, I think, to concentrate on those, those things that do give our life so much richness and meaning, and also seek the help that God has given us in this world, too. And I, I think Paul is very—I feel like Paul is balanced here. I think— there's, I think as human beings, a lot of times we're so inclined to be like, it's one thing or the other. It's all divine or it's all human. So we, I think here Paul is challenging us to have a more balanced view, mm-hmm. even though he's saying in the time that he was in, they thought Christ was coming back soon. And so he was saying, do this. It's better to do this than to do this. Folk try to focus more on the divine, but I think he offers us the opportunity to be more balanced in the day and age that we live in, where we're not expecting, we don't know, <laughs> we're not expecting Christ to just pop down right now. So we have to live a little bit differently, I think, than the early Christians would have been living. Yes, because I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't, my every other thought is not is Christ returning tomorrow. It's not to say that should never be a thought of ours, but it's just not, it hasn't been today. So, Daniel, I am in the same place. I haven't thought about it today. And I will be honest, it is not something I generally think about. Even when I was younger, Christ returning was never a focus of my faith. Where I went after I died was certainly a focus, but it was never toward the realm of, is Christ coming back tomorrow? It's just not where my brain went. But what I find so interesting about this is that purity culture kind of took this text, and, like you said, and mm-hmm. really misused it for its own purposes. But Paul isn't saying it's wrong to be married or wrong Mm-mm. to be unmarried. It's just simply... Right now, don't divide your energies any more than you have to. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that is a good word for any day and age. We mm -hmm. can definitely become stretched so thin. Our, the things that call for our attention can be so great that we can feel like we're being pulled from every end. And if that doesn't cause anxious thoughts that are nowhere near thinking about God, I don't know what does. And so I think that as much as this is about the relationships that we have or don't have, it is about where we let our attention, what we allow steal our attention. Mm -hmm. And if we never give that attention to God, then we're missing something where we are not whole. Yeah, I think it's a really good point about the different things that grab our attention, because I think when you were talking about that, it made me think about all the information that we're inundated with as a, a society that has everything at our fingertips and our phones. And it's really hard to sift through all of that, first of all, to find out what's true and what's not. Mm -hmm. But second, when you're getting all that noise coming at you, mm -hmm. it's really hard to not feel hopeless or to feel like you can't do anything to make the world a better place. And I think being able to pull back and give some focus to God and take some time to say, what do you want from me, God, rather than what is all of the world asking of me, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. If Paul came back and preached this today, it'd probably be like, now, if you have social media on your phone, <laughs> maybe you should take it off because you're worried about clicks and likes mm -hmm. and what so-and-so did and this and, and that. And getting wound up by everything you read. And so mm -hmm. wound up by everything we read. <laughs> so maybe take social media off of your phone mm -hmm. and think on the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> think on the Lord. Quit taking pictures of your lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy the person in front of you. Yes. yes. And I know we're not totally joking right here, but so I, I teach a media class at the seminary and we did a, a pretty deep look into some of the dynamics that drive media creation in our mm -hmm. day. And it's indisputable that human beings are motivated to action by emotions like fear and anger. Mm -hmm. And so it is to the benefit of those who are looking to get our attention <laughs> to make us scared or to make us angry. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a coincidence that so much of what we see in whatever media we're consuming, whether it's social media or the local news or something on TV, that much of it, not all of it, but much of it has been influenced by that need for them to keep our attention. And therefore, what's the button they can push? What's the way they can frame something to make us scared or to make us mm. angry? Those two emotions in particular are so much more powerful than the more positive emotions, <laughs> which mm. that's crazy, mm -hmm. isn't it? But Anyway, so I think we ought to be aware, just as we're talking about how the context of this passage had such a great deal to, to say about how it's shaped now, that in our day, there are forces and principalities, if you will, that are bent on uh, making us anxious. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to go into that culture unaware. <laughs> and I think being aware 
helps us because then when I read something and go, boy, I'm scared now, or boy, I'm angry. I can go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes me think of the scripture, take on my yoke for my burden is light. Mm -hmm. I might not say that exactly right, but y'all know the one I'm talking about. (laughs) And that's true that when things are seeking to cause us anxiety in some shape, form or fashion, that ain't God. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's not Hmm. what God's about. Yes. If you go read in the New Testament about the fruits of the Spirit, Mm -hmm. those fruits do not include these sorts of anxious producing (laughs) emotions and dynamics and character traits. These these fruits are ways of living we can practice. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got a great point there, Nikki, that doing so reminds us that God is not the God of anxiety and that there are some very helpful ways of living that can, that can bring us more genuine peace. And I do feel it's important to say, because I think our emotions are so incredibly important and informative to us. So when we fear, when we feel fear and anxiety, and Crystal can certainly talk to this way better than I can, but those are not emotions we should ignore but rather we should be curious about them and investigate Mm -hmm. them. Is there a valid reason that we feel angry? Has something been threatened or that's a valid thing. And anger does energize us to action. Mm -hmm. And that's a positive thing. God gave that to us. And so I don't want to dismiss that piece, but if there is something that just keeps causing those things for us, I think it's so important to look at why is it causing that? And can I, protect myself from that because Mm -hmm. God doesn't want us to feel all of those things all the time. And I think looking at what is underneath our anger, what is, because anger, if you look at like, I always use with clients, the anger iceberg, um, and you can look it up online, um, but it angers at the very top and that's what's above water. That's what's an iceberg. There's so much underneath and there's all these other emotions that come underneath anger. Right. And so identifying, like you said, Nikki, what are those things? Why am I constantly feeling this way and activated by this? Mm-hmm. And then you can actually use that as a bit of discernment too, of if I'm constantly being triggered by this, is it, is this a call to action or is this a call to step away mm-hmm. from this particular thing? That's because great, yeah. There are things that I feel very passionate about. I get very activated by, and it's a call to action. I will never, ever stop speaking out about sexual assault. I will never do that. I will not stop speaking out about certain issues with people that I have loved and things that have impacted them. Mm -hmm. But if I'm continually getting activated by the same type of stuff I'm seeing in the media that I need to dig deeper, like you said, Nikki, and say, is this a call to action or is this a call for me to step away and seek peace? Right. And I think which call it is because the call should push you toward peace. Mm -hmm. So if taking action moves you closer to peace, then that's probably what you're doing. If taking action just continues to ramp you up and ramp you up and ramp you up, Mm -hmm. then that's probably not the way to go. Mm -hmm. And always having a strong mental health support person, a therapist, <laughs> psychiatrist is important. We we love Jesus and Jesus helps us, but so does therapy. Thank you, so Nikki. <laughs> I think I will always say that mm-hmm. because I have had I was blessed with a wonderful therapeutic relationship 
who guided me through many times in my life. And, and it's just, it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing when it goes well. And I think everybody should do it if they need it. Mm -hmm. And if we're completely honest, we have to also say that there are some versions of Christian congregational life and church that are as bent on making us angry as these more secular media forms. So if you find yourself in a congregation where the messages are aimed at making you scared, angry, bitter at others, mm -hmm. that may not be a great place to be. <laughs> and I really do think we have to be aware that there are those kinds of expressions that are damaging, that are out there in congregations. And yeah, it's worth noting. If our friend Bert was here with us, and I'm still not over him. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. But if he was with us, he would remind us of how many persons he's ministered with who have had those mm. sorts of unfortunate mm -hmm. negative experiences with yeah. church. Mm -hmm. The gospel tells us that Jesus came for life abundant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's it. To live an abundant, peaceful, whole and happy life. That is what God wants for us. I'm convinced when I read scripture, that is what God wants for us. And that is what a life of faith is designed to help us move toward. Nothing anybody can say would ever make me think differently. Absolutely. Anxiety is clearly a relevant topic for today. And my hunch is the groups who are studying this passage will have absolutely no trouble talking about anxiety. I do hope we can hear what Crystal guided us through early on in this podcast, in that there are ways to come at this passage that are probably not helpful. And we would want to be careful with that uh, for all the reasons we've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. I would say that sometimes I go to different authors who have written poignantly, but I'm going to go to Scripture this time for our closing word, because I think it brings an authority and a clarity to these kinds of conversations mm -hmm. as we live in what is likely to be a very stressful and anxious year. We have here in the States presidential election. Those are always stressful, and partly because of just the natural political conversation that leads to division and choosing sides, which is the way of Christ, I think, is not about choosing sides as much as it is about living abundantly and helping others to do the same. We are in a world that has war. There are wars in multiple places, and the danger of those wars spreading is very real. There are still diseases that are running around rampant. There, there are many reasons to be anxious, but there always has been. <laughs> <laughs> and so I leave you with these words of advice that I referenced earlier about the fruits of the Spirit that I think are wonderful ways for us to live as people of faith, as followers of Christ in a world that gives us many reasons to be anxious. <laughs> And it says this in Galatians chapter 5, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. May we all practice these fruits in the days ahead. Thank you all. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.